Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy Love and Money. Today, I have one of the very first financial therapists that I ever got to meet through her book, The Art of Money. Her name is Barry Tesler, and she has been helping people for quite a while now, Barry, transform their relationship with money in ways that most people don't intuitively know yet how to do. So welcome to the show. I can't wait to highlight the work that you've been doing to help people get more intimate, more comfortable, more flexible, more fluid with their finances. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get into this work? Yeah. So I always say growing up, I either wanted to be a solid gold dancer, which lets people know my age. If they don't know what the heck that is, they're like, <laughs> right? Um, or I wanted to be a businesswoman. Um, uh-huh. Or the third option was at six, the age of 16, I asked my parents if I could go to therapy. And to do my own work. So I added in psychotherapy as a third option. So dancer, businesswoman, (laughs) something in the field of psychology. And, you know, in my early 20s, I put them all together, you know, Uh and I thought I made up dance movement therapy. You know, I was living in Israel and I was like, I'm a dancer. I want to be a therapist. I'll, you know. Pretty soon, I learned that there's graduate programs in dance therapy, which is now more called somatic psychotherapy. Uh And so at the age of 24, I moved to Boulder, Colorado and started a master's in somatic psychology at Naropa University and spent my 20s working in the mental health fields, working in hospice, both from the bereavement side and overnight care. My favorite movement practice was authentic movement. And, you know, my main topics that I thought I would be, you know, working with folks on were intimacy and relationships and sexuality and body and death and grief. And I thought those were my topics, you know, that's (laughs) what I was interested in. And when my school loan came due, that was a moment of, wait a second, how am I going to pay this back? You know, I I had the master's degree and I was still making $11 an hour, you know, as a counselor, social worker in the mental health field. And wait a second, when did we talk about money, you know, as we were training to be therapists? Oh, never. You know, (laughs) it was so shocking to me when I realized that, that there were no money conversations, you know, to help us understand what are our own money emotions, how to work with them let alone what are the money stories, you know, that we've inherited, that we're continuing, that we're rebelling against, let alone what about all the business stuff and bookkeeping and how to start a private practice. So it was such a missing piece. And I know I'm not alone in that story. Right. 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 
getting a master's in psychology and no discussions and training on money. And so, you know, it was one of those moments where I was either going to, you know, go running away and (laughs) run away and not deal with this or face it like I did every other big topic of life. And then the second part of it was that I, you know, had my own money shame, um, which we can talk about my story a little bit more, my money story, but you know, I had my own money shame. And I definitely thought I was the only one who did not learn about money, you know, and did not receive a financial education. And pretty soon I started looking around at friends and colleagues and realized people, you know, everyone that I knew from all different economic backgrounds and lineage backgrounds, you know, that we all had challenges around money. We certainly had some things that we were doing well, Uh but we also, you know, for the most part, again, no matter what background we came from, that we all had these challenges. So it, was, it helped me unshame, you know, I, you know, and many, many other things that I did. But but I wound up like taking a little detour and learning bookkeeping, you know, because uh-huh. it was such a missing piece that I was like, I have to learn this for myself. So I wound up learning bookkeeping. And then while I wound up running a bookkeeping business as a transition for other therapists, coaches, coaches and artists and contractors yeah. And they had no idea to master's in psychology. They just threw their books at me. They didn't want anything to do with it. And I learned, I always say, like I was 28 to 32 years Uh old during that time. And I always say, I learned more about people's relationship to money, their relationship to earning and spending and their values and so on than if I had done private therapy. And I wasn't really ready to you know, start my own private practice those years. And, you know, I got much older clients to do their books. So that was a transition. And then in 2001, I had a mentor who supported me to give a talk on my work. And I was like, what are you talking about? What is my work? And, you know, and so I wound up, you know, taking a walk in the woods and said, how can I help people have a more, you know, conscious where I would say mindful now, you know, Uh relationship to money, a more healthy savvy relationship to money. And I wound up like coming back to our tiny little cottage that me and my husband were living in. We threw up white paper and we just started organizing my so-called methodology, you know, Uh and it's the same three phases today, 21 years later, um, money healing, money practices and money maps. But in the back in the day, I called it financial therapy, Uh uh, values-based bookkeeping and life vision planning. And, you know, I wound up creating this whole methodology and my husband looked at it and he said, you're doing financial, you're a financial therapist. And I was like, what, what did you just say? You know, (laughs) Uh, uh. an incredible namer. And I looked online and one other person was using that word, that name, you know, a bookkeeper in Canada. And I wound up, you know, saying, this is, I'm a financial therapist and had to explain that, you know, over and over people would say, you know, what do you do? And I would say, I'm a financial therapist. And they would cock their head and say, Oh, (laughs) you know, Oh, my mom needs that. Or my brother needs that. Or I need that. Right. Um, And so to complete the story, I wound up teaching my little methodology in small groups of 10 people over and over and over, you know, in my living room. And then I wound up driving to San Francisco one night and Oakland the next. And, you know, I wound up, I was living in California at the time. And I just taught that my that methodology over and over and over from 10 person groups to 20 to 50 until it eventually, you know, went online. And then, you know, we had 300 people and then 500 people 
And so I've just been doing this methodology that I now call, you know, I call it, I call myself a financial therapist, obviously, and it's a therapy methodology, but it's under the art of money umbrella. And I've been teaching that for teaching this work, mostly in groups, but sometimes with, you know, I'll do private financial therapy sessions. I'll open those up a few times a year and And, um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's, that's the beginning. That's a little bit about what I do. Right. You know, we were talking before we started recording that we could probably talk for hours, but like, there's just, because there's so much richness to your life and your journey and working with people. And so I want to just pull out a few of your golden nuggets. And I remember when I first read your book, and then I think I listened to the book, it was probably eight years ago, seven years ago. I don't, can't remember exactly at this point, but you introduced this practice called the money check-in with your body, body the body yeah, check-in, the body check-in for yeah. your money. And I would be remiss to not like, as that's one of my first memories of kind of encountering your work, remiss to not have you share that with the listeners. What is that all about? Yeah. It, well, let me first, before I, I describe what it is, I want to say where it came from. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I kind of jumped ahead, but my entire twenties was me training to be a somatic therapist. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did that was because when I asked my parents to go to therapy at the age of 16, you know, they sent me to a talk therapist, somatic therapy maybe was around then, but you know, <laughs> they, and they sent me also to a male, you know, a guy and yeah. for, you know, a 16, a teenager, I should have <laughs> been going to a woman and right. and someone who was doing some kind of somatic body centered work, right? Mm-hmm. But this was what in the eighties, right? Yeah. So the reason I fell in love so much with somatic therapy was I needed it so badly. But it was also how you know, as a dancer in, in my teenage years, I would also go into my room and shut the door, play loud music, and then dance out every emotion that I was having. And then once I was done with that, I'd be able to come out of my room and then be able to articulate what was going on for me. Right. Wasn't until I went and danced it out. So both I, I needed somatic therapy was also natural to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I craved it because, you know, I know what it's like to not be in my body and to forget about how to listen to my body. I, you know, I think we're all taught many of us, you know, don't listen to your body's messages. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, the simplest thing is like override if you're hungry for a girl or, you know, (laughs) you know, there's so many tiny things that our culture is telling us don't listen to. Right. So when I found somatic therapy, you know, it was incredible to me to just be able to, you know, close my eyes and tune in and listen to what sensations are happening in my body, what emotions are (sighs) happening in my body, but really just what sensations. And then the movement practice that I did, authentic movement, you close your eyes, you check in, you listen to what sensations are happening, you follow them through um, into movement and sound. Okay. okay. Wow. I'm yeah. loving this. I am love absolutely just on fire inside okay. hearing this. This is incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, authentic movement is a practice where one person is the witness and then there's a mover and it could be a witness holding the space. And then there's a group of movers, right. Mm-hmm. And it comes from Mary Whitehouse and she was a dancer, but she also studied, um, Taoism. Um, and so, and, and, and Jungian psychology, right. So this was her whole integration, <laughs> right. And so that was what I was learning in my twenties. Right. So when I realized 
that I was going to take on money <laughs> and learn uh-huh. everything I could. And I, you know, I started with bookkeeping and learn. It was also how do I have an emotional relationship with? What's my psychology around money? And I needed tools. And I had I had baskets full of tools from uh-huh. my training as a therapist, training as a somatic ther- somatic therapist. And Naropa University is a Buddhist-based school. And so while I'm not a Buddhist, Uh um, my husband has practiced Zen Buddhism over the years since we've been together 20-some years. That's not my path, right? Um, But I needed, like, there are so many tools from being steeped, you know, bringing in deeper meaning, bringing in creative practices, um, bringing in somatic tools. You know, when I was creating my financial therapy methodology, it had to bring all of that into it. And so the very first tool is a somatic tool, the body check-in. So the body check-in is simply stopping and pausing, checking in with yourself on any level, right? So I always, the way I take people through a body check-in is check-in on a physical level first, what's going on, you Mm -hmm. know, are your feet on the floor, legs crossed, legs open, shoulders up, shoulders down. Then you move on to the sensation level. What do you notice? Tingling, heat. Where are the sensations? Tightness in your body, right? Then you move on the next levels. What's the emotion or feeling in your body? Then you move on to where's your breath? Is it down in your belly? Is it in your chest? Is it in your throat? And so it's just a noticing practice. It's asking yourself, inviting yourself to be curious what's going on. Um, There's no need to change anything. There's no right way, wrong way. Wow. You know, it's just letting yourself notice, you know, and everyone's different. Some people notice Mm -hmm. that more on a sensation level. Some people can't even understand that yet. And, you know, they may just notice physically what's going on, or they may be able to check in with their breath. So I take people through all those levels. And then at the end of it, I usually say, what's one little adjustment that you can make right now that would feel supportive to you? Lowering your shoulders, loosening your jaw, doing a little shoulder shimmy, seeing if you can get your breath a little deeper down in your body, right? So you know, this is a body check-in and it's something that I brought in from day one. You know, it was like, I can't invite people into a relationship with money if I can't support them to be in their body. Right. And so, right. And then what does that even mean? You know, what does that even look like? And there's, you know, much more advanced somatic practices and tools. This is such a simple one. And you can expand upon it in many ways. You can do a body check-in for five seconds. You can do a body check-in for a minute. You can do a body check-in for five minutes, you know? Right. Um, and then the last thing is I invite people to do this as a practice. So it's not one and done. Um, it's something you practice daily and you practice and you bring to all your money interactions. So you do a body check-in before you're going to have a money conversation mm-hmm. as prep, you know, as, as to help you prepare what's going on. Uh, do I need yeah. to sit down. Am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Do I need to take a walk around the block? Like what's going, you know, right. How do how do you censure yourself before a money conversation? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the heat, in the heat of the moment, moment. But in, in the middle of it, sometimes you remember body check-in, you know. Yep. Right. And I have I invite people to, to do it after as a debriefing as well. How did that go? What did I learn? What could I do different? So I'm now getting into other aspects of a longer body check-in, right. but it's right. how to use it. But a body check-in can literally be like we're online shopping and we're looking at our balances online, body check-in, right? We're yeah. going to decline our fees. We're we're having a money date and trying to, to decide what what person to our, to add to our financial support team or even learning a bookkeeping system. It all begins with body check-ins. Check-in. And this, you know, for anyone that's listening that's unfamiliar with these types of practices, this may just be so paradigm shifting. And I think you've talked about it in some of your writing where people will hear this type of guidance and they will kind of push back on it initially. Because I think most of us have been conditioned to think about solving our money problems from our head. We need the right answer. We need the right way to calculate the math. But that reorientation of getting people into their body as a starting place is just so very powerful. I don't want anyone that's listening to miss that this is a big paradigm shift. I know for me, it has been and it continues to be for me as someone that loves to get heady. I want to think about all the complex ideas and it's like, Hey, what's going on inside in my body, our our home? Yeah, and I love math, and I love you know like <laughs> right. This is not anti math. It's both. It's both. Right. It's, our, it's our mind and our and our body. It's both. We want both, right? When I'm making, when I'm trying to make a money decision, I'm not ignoring you know the numbers and the math of it. That's one piece of it. You know, look at that. Right. And also check in with your body. Right. And so it's not either or. And also, you know, some for some people, this in my community, this is more natural. They have a meditation practice or they have a yoga practice or they they know how to check in and center themselves. They've never brought that to the relationship to money. So that's where there's been a separation. They know the practice. They do this in every other area of their life except for money. So that's where, you know, it's. It's revolutionary for them. It's transformational or mind shifting for them, right? And then other folks who are more, maybe even from a traditional finance background or money's more black and white. There's, you know, yeah. um, you know, I don't have any emotions around money. It's like, it's just about the numbers, <laughs> you know? Well, maybe you don't, but maybe the person you're in relationship with you does, you know? Or maybe it would be beneficial for you to slow down and check in and just notice what's going on when the bill comes, when you're out for dinner with friends and how, you know, that's a moment. Are we, you know, who's paying for it? Are you splitting it evenly? What's coming up? Does, does one person come from a family that is more money? And so you, in your mind, you're like, well, they should pay for it. Or do they, are they making more in their job right now? Or just, or you're, you know, or you're wanting to pay for it because you love being generous in that way. There's so many things that come up. Right. So just ch- taking a moment to check in and I'll th- say though, there's always more, but you know, there are some folks that are, that are really in their head that have just said, I'm going to ignore the emotions. I'm going to ignore my body, mm-hmm. you know, in life and in money. And right. it's scary in there. I don't even want to go there, you know, I'm just <laughs> push them down or ignore them. And so, you know, why check in, check in. I, I, you know, I think this is where we hold old memories, mm. good and bad, you know, yeah. we can store them in our body. 
We can store sensations of pain. We can get clues as to, you know, what does this remind me of, you know? So Mm. in the heat of the moment, you know, one of my stories is buying a car with my husband and starting to hyperventilate a little bit. Oh, yeah. And then going into the bathroom and doing a body check-in. Because it's yeah. a safe place, <laughs> you know, to do a body <laughs> Yeah. Right? And and I, I've done it so many times that I'm able to, oh, I'm hyperventilating a bit. My, my breath is going up my body. Can I get that down? Yes. What's going on here? Can I just name the emotion anxiety? Okay. What is this reminding me of? Or where does this come from? Or, you know, and so sometimes we may not have thoughts about it. We may just have an image or memory of our mom paying the bills at the dining room table and being really nervous and anxious or of our parents screaming behind closed doors, you know? Mm. And so sometimes just by slowing down and checking in with our body, we can remember something like that and have more compassion or understanding for our current sensation or feelings or stories or what's coming up for us. You know, so for me, I'm trying to help people bring more awareness, right? Yeah, absolutely. Leads to deeper understanding, right? Yeah. Which leads to being able to make different choices and, you know, changing that, right? So as awareness leads to understanding, leads to change. That's a simple little, you know, body check in. So we're just, of course, just touching on it. There's so much more to this. Yeah. There is, and there is so much more, and but it's in the simplicity of that practice and listening to you talk about your story and having integrated the body check-in and for so long that it's it's almost habitual now. You've got yourself conditioned to be aware enough of when that anxiety rises and, okay, how can I care for myself? And you're not turning to Forrest, your husband, um, you got to calm me down. You got to, I, I, I can't handle this. It, you can... Uh, reclaim your own sense of, or maintain your own sense of agency that there's something going on with me. How can I take care of this, work through this? And I'm sure you probably do talk to him and say, Hey, I need a moment or something if it does come up. But I think that's something that a lot of partners really struggle with is they start to feel so anxious and then they're counting on the other person to help them get back down. And yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, so in that moment, yes, I was able in the car dealership, I was able to say, honey, give me a moment. I'm going to go to the bathroom, you know, right? I probably said I'm going to do a body check-in, you know, uh-huh. and the end of that body check-in after I, yes, I know how I've been doing it for years. So I've done millions, right? So yeah. to be able to, you can't calm yourself down the first body check-in or even the 10, <laughs> maybe the hundred, you can yeah. figure out. And then all what, and the other thing is, what is it reminding me of? Oh, I really don't like to make fast money decisions. And this was a decade or plus ago, Mm -hmm. you know, at that time. I mean, it's interesting that a few years later, we had a, we bought a house in 36 hours and that's, that's, but I (laughs) love that for some reason, like that was thrilling to me where my husband was way more nervous about that, but the car, he was like ready to go. And so we each of our moments, right. But the other piece is not only could I go resource myself and take myself to the bathroom to do a check-in, but at the end of that, I was able to say, what do I need? Oh, I need to have a money date with my husband, you know? Mm. And so I came out and I did say, let's, take 20 minutes or so to have a money date. And so that was something I wanted us to do together and to ask some questions, which I always do in money purchases. So, 
you know, is this in alignment with our values? Do we have the cash flow for this? You know, is this uh-huh. going to impact our larger goal of buying a home? So I didn't need him or want to, like we want, I wanted to come together. Let's a few more things. Um, I'll tell one more story and then we'll back up is when we were a few years ago doing our estate plan. Now that brought up so much for me that I wasn't expecting my husband to um, calm me down. But in those meetings, at one point, he did put his hand on the my back um, without asking, but it actually, you know, it, yeah. it was, it felt so good and right. And right. just by putting his hand on my back, I was able to come back into my body a little bit because what was happening for me was I was having such a hard time staying present, you know, when they're asking questions like, um, you know, how long do you want to be kept on, um, what's the, the life the, support life or, support. or yeah. you know, or, you know, our, our son who is 14 was 12 at the time, you know, just to imagine like if we die, mm-hmm. you know, how does money go to him? Or, you know, all those questions right. were so upsetting to me that uh-huh. I was checking my phone the whole time. Like I was having, I was tracking how I could not stay, get into my body. And so his hand on my back actually did help me get into my body in that moment and maybe not check my phone for the next minute or two, you know, like <laughs> it was helpful. So that's a right. reason thing that we actually did together. Right. Right. Um, But, you know, for couples, we all have completely different money styles of earning and spending and saving and giving. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. You know, for couples, we all have completely different money styles of earning and spending and saving and giving. Well, and, and I think what was interesting is like that big purchase, like you were talking about for Forrest, he was ready to go on the car purchase. Yeah. And you were needing to work through a little bit more. And then it sounds like maybe on the reverse for the house side. And so it's that, like, the language I have in my mind is like, how do we get to mutual regulation and mutual pacing and pleasure, right? That, And kind of paralleling um, sexual intimacy is that level of arousal. And if one person's ready, hot and bothered, but the other one's not there, like, how do you find that balance and bring each other to mutual pleasure through these big financial transitions so that it's truly pleasurable and one's not feeling, I don't know what the word is. Right. Well, I don't know if we're always going to get there. No, no. That's that's a work in progress. Progress. Right. Long marriage and a long relationship. And it's a continual learning. You know, it's just a continual learning about each of your different styles, 
each of your different trigger points, each of your, you know, I mean, yeah. in the house buying purchase, I was just, my husband kept calling me a Jaguar. Like sometimes when I get really clear about something, he also calls it a freight train. And, and these terms can be really strong and they're not right. negative. I just, right. when I really get clear about what I want, I yeah. go for it, you know, and nothing's right. going to stop me. And I, I have to try to sometimes slow down. Like, are you, all, are you with me? Are you with me? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. But with the house, even though it had been, we had been discussing it for a year, mm. the, the actual transaction of it was so fast and furious and, you know, different than the car buying thing, which he was jazzed about. I was so jazzed about the home, you know, to find ourselves in the mortgage broker's office. And, you know, for the first time in him looking at two years of numbers as an entrepreneur and, you know, yeah. credit scores, and they, they they had to see that we were in a place to buy a home. There were, there's so many hoops you had to jump through. Right. And I was so grateful and proud that we, had been growing in many ways. And when we landed in the office, we had met all of those, you know, those criteria and it was thrilling for me. And yeah. And I, I like in 36 hours was like, I pushed, you know, I made that, you know, I was like, I was the train that made and the Jaguar that made that all happen. And he did more of a collapse. And, you know, I think it's, we may not be on the same page going through, but then after how much did we debrief? And talk mm. about it, you know. So it's like we may not always get there at the same time, you know. Okay, or, or go through it the same way. But yeah, there's a yes. there's a debrief. I like that. So tell me a little bit more about that debrief process. I I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, there there's afterwards a debriefing of. You know, how did that go? What worked? What didn't? Where were we on the same page? Where did we do that really? Where did we feel really differently about that? Yeah. yeah. It's not this formal thing where we sit down, (laughs) but it always happens. You know, like we, we've our money dates, our favorite ones have always been out for dinner. So obviously that didn't get to happen during for like two years, years. Or something right during COVID. But before that, and we're doing that a bit again is dining. Like that's one of my favorite things to do. It's one of my big values and priorities. Um, not just from the food and nour- nourishment, but just the whole experience of trying new foods and new restaurants and, you know, and over a meal, we usually do a lot of visioning and planning and then also debriefing as well. Yeah. Am I explaining that process clearly? I haven't really defined that. It's it's just, you know, it's just yeah. talking it through of how did that work and what was the trigger for you? And, you know, we're so, we have really different money stories and different moments where I feel really strong and confident and other moments where he does or other moments where I'm triggered or, you know, but mm. he, we still have our money stuff. It's different. It's just so different. Yeah. What just came to me, Barry, was an implicit permission to ebb and flow differently. Like, as you were saying that, I I couldn't help but flash my relationship with my wife and that I have such a strong desire to be in sync with her. Like, and even as I'm saying this now, all the time. So there's that rigidity or that like strong piece. And it's like, 
allowing space for flexibility for us to be in different places at different times on things that we're going through. So right now, you know, I'm really jazzed about the idea of doing a vacation rental property lake home. Let's just say she's not so jazzed about it (laughs) in simple terms, right? And so there's that like wanting, hoping, expecting excitement, wanting to share that with her, but then missing that she has understandable fears, concerns, and anxieties about going forward with that and the timing. And so being able to to have hold and honor what I want, but hold and honor where she's at in that ebb and flow, right? It has well, it's also, you know, with couples how we you know, we're always, we're not always in sync. Okay. And that we, we do separate, you know, and then we come back together and we separate and we come back together. What we learned that in graduate school, it was like such a thing that the pacing, the undulation, the oscillation, that's the oscillation, right? separating and coming back together. Right. Mm -hmm. And that we're just, Maybe we're on the same page overall, but like the way we're doing things is different or our timing is different or pacing is different. That's what in 21 years of being with my husband, that's what I'm learning. You know, for example, what was I just, yeah. And I, and I love this suggestion, this idea you're bringing up of, you know, the vacation property, right? Because I mean, it's a great idea. It's a great financial idea, right? We, we keep going to Taos. Um, we're under contract still with a little bit of land. It's like, at the, at, you know, it's about to close, but we keep renting VRBOs there, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> whoever is the property manager, whoever owns those is making a lot of money, right? It's a great yeah. investment, mm-hmm. but your wife may have different relationship to risk, to investing in that way, to real estate, to, you know, so she probably has lots of different thoughts about that. Right. Right. And so, oh, yeah. right. And so how do you each have your path around what you want or what you're interested in? And I'll give one example of us with income, right. Yeah. And then maybe we come back to this one, but so my husband has done all sorts of things. Like he's been in the tech world. He's, you know, worked for a philosopher, um, run his own business. Like he, and then every once in a while, someone will see what he does and, and just be like, oh, well, you work for this, will you work for this green energy company that I'm starting, you know? Uh-huh. So he's he has many interests and he's good at many things where I'm on one path. I've been on, you know, it, it right. takes many different forms, but it's financial therapy, art of money yeah, right. work, and it's, you know, and it, right. business model shifted a bit, but like it's one thing. Uh-huh. And if I'm going to interact with someone, it's usually paid, you know, like if I, I don't do, if someone says, can I take you out for lunch to pick your brain at this point? I say, no, years ago, I, I did that for years, tons of, you know, tons yeah. of, pick oh, my yeah. brain, right? yeah, and at yeah. some point, probably when I had my son, I was like, I, I just said, no, I no, that's not where I'm spending my time and energy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so in the last year, my husband's been work, helping a neighbor, supporting him in a green energy company. Yeah. In the alleyway, you know, and what I think is like hours of free consulting, you know, right now, will it turn into some shares, some stock shares in the company? Possibly. Can it turn into when they get the next round of funding consulting? Yes. You know, but so we are different now. Mm. There, there was a few years ago where I said, if you bring in a certain amount each month, 
If you hit this goal, then go do whatever you want otherwise. So it wasn't like it was like, we make money in different ways. And we have different and timing of it. And I can be like, wow, you're not, you're giving all this time or away. Uh But I know him and he wants to live his life in a different rhythm, in a different way of how he gives and receives. Right. Okay. So that's, that's so, I mean, but that ties perfectly back into where, like, as my wife and I are working through our, this stage and transition and just wanted to one, acknowledge the fact that we're here and able to consider this as an option is a huge gift, right? Just, yes. And, but it is that, you know, so I think this opens up a really important conversation about income and contribution, especially in entrepreneurial couples and like, what does it mean and represent to be putting in income? And I've gone through a season where I coordinated it with her and we had open conversations. I said, I'm going to reduce how much I'm taking from the practice to try to invest for this next stage of growth. And here's what I'm expecting. And it didn't quite get to where I'm expecting. And so she's shouldered a lot of the financial responsibility. And so as I bring this new idea, she's saying, wait a second, hold on. Okay. Is this fair? Right. And so Couples are always mm-hmm. trying to navigate formally and informally what's fair on yes. economic contribution. And as entrepreneurs, income can vacillate pretty significantly from month to month or year to year. So how do you enforce navigate that? How do you guys think through that, work through that? Yeah. What do you think in helping other couples with that too? Because I know this is not something that's unique to me. This is not something unique to you enforce. This is all couples are navigating this at some level. So it's always nice when there's one person who is a steady job and income, right? <laughs> right? I mean, it's great when there's two who have that and that could change too. No, you know, your sure. jobs are not guaranteed, but um, right. when you have two steady incomes, oh my God, is budgeting and planning so <laughs> much easier, you know, it's like, wow, you know, you guys got it easy, but they have their, there's pros and cons to working. <laughs> there's some other challenges. That, yeah. Right. So, but when there's one person who is a more steady income and the other person's the entrepreneur, yes, depending on where that business is at and how many years in the person with a steady income is, you know, they're holding down the floor. They're carrying that they're carrying like the most of the cash flow, Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a long marriage, usually that's, that can switch. It depends what fields you're in. And um, cause there was a time where I was making a lot more. And then there was a time where we were equal and there was even a time where he was making more. Right. Uh So we have had, you know, a few different iterations and knowing, okay. So knowing in a long marriage now, kind of when you get stuck in one person is holding it down while the other person, it may not be equal in cash flow. Um, but the times where I was bringing in a lot more, or again, if I make money differently than my husband does, then what else is happening in the household? So the level of parenting that he does, we are 50, 50 with, household everything it's not like we haven't mapped it out right and there were phases like when i first when when we when i we first had our son you Mm -hmm. know that first year we were definitely fighting over time and you know who gets to work out or who gets to sleep or who you know we were fighting (laughs) you know and probably the first two years like for our you know but for the most part it is we are equal contributors so i count all of that and, you know, so it doesn't mean like if if it's not 50-50 over here, then he has to be more, maybe, yeah, there was a time where he did more home household stuff. 
right? Right. So we're trying to get the equality, um, but we're really trying to look at the whole thing. Parenting, mm-hmm. you know, the driving time, the, you know, the right. making the food, the clean, all of that contributing to the household. That's all part of, is this fair, you know, and including that in the conversation. Cause I think there were times where we were trying to do this, like, you know, some couples do, if I'm bringing in 30%, you're bringing 70%, then we need to shift the household's chores. I think it's an ongoing conversation, but around money, you know, again, different risk levels, different ways of making money, mm-hmm. different comfort levels. So, you know, the fact that my husband is bringing in a certain amount each month and that happened through Kajabi commissions. Uh, so, you know, he's not a sales guy, but he fell in love with Kajabi. The teaching uh-huh. platform was trying to get me on it for years. I finally switched <laughs> Yeah, and people just were coming to him to set up their online businesses and doing consulting and everyone was getting on Kajabi. And so, so many people signed up for him underneath him under his, you know, using his, his link. Oh, his recommendation link. Yeah. 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 And so he, he's still getting commissions from that. Okay. So that, that's like a steady, steady, it's gone down a bit, but like, that's been a steady, steady and allowed him to meet a goal and, you know, cash flow goal. And then, you know, he gets to explore other things. So that was kind of one of the agreements that we had that I really needed. I really needed a certain amount of cash flow coming in. But, he, you know, he's not always, there was one year where he couldn't meet it or I couldn't meet it. Like things happen. We don't always sure. meet our goals. So then that's rough. And you, know, you can say that again. That's, yeah. that's rough, right? Yeah. It brings up a lot. It brings up again how much are you contributing? Are you contributing your share? Are you saying what you said you were? Are you doing what you said you were going to do? How can right. I trust you? Uh-huh. you know? So yeah, you have to evaluate. He does come to me with ideas, and we do, you know, try to get on the same team. And he had come to me a year or so ago saying he wanted to do a rental um, thing a few years back with yurts or something. And then it just like exploded and everyone was doing this business <laughs> and it's too expensive in Colorado. Right. Uh, uh-huh. But he went and did a lot of research and came back to me Yeah, and I was excited by it, but I also needed to see the numbers. And then we got to the place where we realized it's not viable in Colorado. Right. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea of rental properties, right? But the numbers have yeah. to work, uh, you know, right? There's there's a lot of that alignment, right? So it's, and it's, I guess it's kind of the head, the numbers, the technical side, but it's also the feeling and the sense that this is an alignment and getting those things to come together is what's so yeah. valuable and so important. Yeah. Um, you know, Barry, it's just... So refreshing to talk with someone else about their relationship and the ebbs and flows and the the expectations and the changing expectations. I see so many of the couples that I work with really struggle with the fact that they have to be somewhat flexible, like set expectations, but then recognize like we're not always going to meet them. Your partner's not always going to meet them. You're not always going to meet them. And this is part of that working relationship and and long relationship. And that's, Yeah. yeah, I feel like there's something in that like 
being able to develop a long view of the relationship. Maybe that's what I'm getting at is like how important that is for your overall functioning as a couple and financially is remembering that, yeah, we're making this big, long commitment together that things are going to ebb and flow and change. And you have the perspective of 20 years of marriage. I'm coming up on 16 years of marriage. And I mean, there's no way I could have expected or planned all the ebbs and flows and responsibilities that, and we shoot, I think like you enforced to be, 50 50 as much as possible, but that has definitely changed when I was staying home full time and in grad school and my wife was working like, yeah, I was doing a lot more of the housework and the laundry and cooking and grocery shopping. And, but that's shifted and that it, it moves not always on a dime too. And different weeks, different things are, you know, different things are happening, right? We, right. we, We went to Taos spring break and we literally put an offer on this land in Taos and we had gotten a new puppy a few days before we went to Taos, you know, and then on that trip, my husband and son went skiing and my son, my husband blew out his entire knee, you know, uh-huh. and then had to have surgery and then had to have surgery. So what happened? All of a sudden I was on dog puppy care, <laughs> like, you know, right? We don't have a yard. So all of a sudden that I was on puppy care. And then, and then while he was having surgery and had to recover, right. And then what happened, then there's a curveball of, oh, we have now a new expense that's been added in. Right. So we'll pay for a chunk of it. Uh And now, okay, this wasn't factored in to our year plan, but these things happen like, right. There are curveballs happen. You can plan for some medical stuff. You can plan for vet bills, but then you decide to get a puppy that you didn't know was going to happen, you know, and then you did after years of conversation and then you have a, a knee thing. And so then, well, I'll just say how that factored in uh, a little money decision. And then we can move on was I am doing a new mentor program this year, right. Which has been years in the works. Like people have asked me for years to do a certification, you know, other therapists or coaches or other financial professionals have said, well, you do a certification on your financial th- on financial therapy or on the art of money, and I and I did all the research on a certification. I came to a no. I've come to a no over and over. <laughs> it keeps coming back to no. Yeah. No, 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 no. For so many reasons, but when I finally got clear this year was based on again my health life phase. I'm in menopause finally after five years of perimenopause. So for all the women out there, you know, yes. maybe for your wife, you guys are maybe younger, but yeah. just, you know, that's a huge life change and it really affects how you do life and business. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this year I'm finally in menopause and getting my energy back. And I was ready to do a mentor program. That's not a certification. It's a four month mentor program. Right. Yeah, I love yeah. Mentoring, but I'm not certifying you in my methodology. Yeah. <laughs> Or you're not under my umbrella where I have to oversee everything, you know, I'm right. mentor wonderful folks to do their own money work because mm-hmm. we need a safe place. Right. Absolutely. Right? That's why you probably took art of money. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, you know, to get more tools to bring to your clients and to, to get yeah. to your business. So anyway, the long story short of that is that when I said I wanted to have 40 people and if I made that goal, I wanted to buy myself a new wedding ring, right? Not a super fancy one, but from a local yeah. jeweler, right? And that was going to be my sure. gift. Yeah. So yeah. we got 40 people and I got my I my new rings. Yeah. And Forrest, 
um, was going to get his own version of something for the same equal amount to celebrate because he helped with all the copy and the sales page and everything. Sure. But when his injury happened, I was like, well, we're paying how much, like 10 times more for your new knee. That's, that's not really fair. Really, it was he got, he had braces over the last year. Uh-huh. So I was like, and that was even more that it was twice as much as I <laughs> went. So I was like, so, so we are always doing this fair thing. Like if I get yeah. this, you get this. If I get this, you get this. And then right. he was pulling something action. I was like, actually, honey, you or you know, you got you got new teeth. You got <laughs> you got straight teeth. You got I love straight. your I love your smile, by the way, honey. But uh, yeah, that's the limit there. So yeah. Well, and I think this might be a great way to kind of start to bring this conversation to close. Barry, we could talk for hours. I have so many more questions. I'll have to have you back on another podcast. But you started a round of mentoring other folks that are doing money work and. My impression, I think you're going to launch this again, this mentoring program. Yeah. yeah. So for anybody that's listening to this and they're thinking, wow, I really like what Barry's talking about, what she stands for. I would want to learn more about how she works with people, especially from that somatic space. What can people be expecting from this type of mentorship? And when when is it on the horizon? Right. Well, okay. So I do two programs now, right? And right. the first program is the one you were part of. And that, right. So- it's a year-long program. And that's I, I I like people to start there. It's a lower price point, it's more accessible. Yeah. Um, it's certainly financial professionals and therapists and coaches are in this community, but it's really for lay folks, doctors, teachers, anybody that has a relationship yeah. with money. Exactly. So basically anybody. Anyone, right? Yes. Anyone, uh-huh. you know, and, and we do a buddy discount so you can come with your mom or your brother or your best friend, right? Yeah. So the, I would say everyone join that because I take you through a year of learning in my, my three phases of my methodology. So you do four months of money healing work and you do four months of money practices and four months right. of money maps. Right. Right. And, and so, and you go through that for a year, like you uh-huh. sign up and you get your first module. And then a month later you get module two. Right. So, sure. and there's a, and it's, while it's all online mm-hmm. and all the contents already created, we do offer some community support. So I offer a monthly office hours call and then we now have a weekly co-working group with alumni guides. Ah, so that's great. Which helps folks just do the, you know, come every yeah. Saturday, come in, you know, for an hour, take some next steps, you know, whether sure. it's right. So I love that. So that's the year long. So I would say start there, you know. Yes, right. And do right. that. And it's a you know, it's a great price point and all that um, for most folks. And then and that's opening up September um 15th. So that's September 15th. Okay. Yeah. We're doing this interview. I don't know when it's going live, but the year long yeah. program is opening up sub- September 15th through the 25th. Right. So that's okay. that. Then the mentor program, I'm just finishing up the first founding member round of it. We're in the last month and I love it. And I really feel it's what I meant to do yeah. um, at this phase in my life. Um, this life phase and just where I'm at. And so I'll be opening this up again in January and it will start February 1st. Um, And it's smaller group. So the year long program is a large group program, you know, 200 to 500. And this mentor group is around 40 to 50. And I'm going to keep it that um, for a while. So it's what I consider a small group, (laughs) you know, and um, we're really working on three things. It's for, therapists and coaches and financial professionals to have a safe space to do their own money work. 
It's for them to learn a lot more tools and practices to bring to their clients and their existing practices, money tools, money tools, somatic tools, the work that I write, everything I do. And then the third thing is to get a little savvier um, in your business and business models and pricing. Of course, we, we cover all of that as well. Awesome. There's so much richness here. I hope that everyone that's been listening, if you're not ready for a program, Barry's book, Art of Money is phenomenal. It's tracks her program. I've read it, reread it, underlined it, reread it. And I go back to it still from time to time. And so Barry, if they want to grab a copy of your book, Art of Money, that's on Amazon. I imagine all the other places everywhere, too. Everywhere online, Amazon where, and everywhere. Wherever you want to buy it, you can get it. Um, where can they? Where can people find you online? Yeah, my website is barrytesler.com and it's B-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-L-E-R. And then my favorite social media places are Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. So strongly encourage you to, to get connected socially, start there, build a relationship. Barry is a master at being warm, kind, and inviting in your journey with money. You are in good hands uh, joining in her community and her work as well. Barry, thank you for your generosity, your leadership, and your time today. Thanks so much for having me. I didn't know where we, where we were going to go. And I hope that that was helpful. And it's it was just wonderful being with you today. Thank you. Thank you. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money at Money.